Welcome back, everybody, to Edge of the Rabbit Hole. I'm author and researcher Mike Ricksecker. With me, as always, is my co-hostess, Victoria Monday. And down in the chat room, Alina moderating the chat. We have a fantastic episode coming up for you tonight. Richard Doty joins us. He is a former Air Force OSI agent, counterintelligence. And this guy has been in the field for a long, long time. Very knowledgeable man. He's He's been the guy working behind the scenes. And uh, we're it's a real pleasure to have him with us this evening. Talk about Area 51. Met him for the first time here at the Laughlin UFO Mega Conference. So without further ado, Rick, thank you so much for joining us this evening. My pleasure to be here, Mike and Victoria. Yeah. Oh, so nice to meet you finally. <laughs> it's, it's nice meeting you. So, Rick, let's talk a little bit about your background for just a moment for our, our viewers. Now, you were uh, Air Force o- Air Force OSI for uh, 10 years. Prior to that, though, however, you were actually... Um, uh, regular duty Air Force. So there's a there's a difference between the two of that I think people don't necessarily realize. So can you kind of explain that uh, for us for just a moment? Yes, I, I was active duty United States Air Force for four years. I worked in intelligence, uh, went to language school, learned Russian, uh, worked uh, in Europe. And then I got out of the Air Force, went to college, uh, and then I came back in as a um, civilian special agent uh, GS came in as a GS nine and worked my way up to a GS 11. Um, so I was a civilian special agent with the air force office of special investigations. And what I, what I connected, um, or, or, or I, I, um, I talk about, um, OSI being similar to, uh, NCIS people watch the NCIS show where these special agents were, uh, civilians. Uh oh, you lock up on us real quick. It's the aliens. No, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny because I I equate it with like the X Files, not CSI, but either one kind of close. Yeah. I mean, well, and he's talking. Yeah, when he's talking Air Force OSI, it's um. I've I've had dealings with those guys when I was in the Air Force, so. Um, I'm gonna message but, him real quick. Let him know that uh, that we lost him on this side. Good, good dealings are bad. Are they like the men in black? Can I just keep talking? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's something I want to talk with Rick a little bit about this evening is the men in black as well. After we got into, um, after, after we got into area 51, but, uh, so then with the black eyed children be like future men in black, ask him that one. I want to know about that. There you go. <laughs> Maybe I should write that down. <laughs> and he completely dropped. Okay. Oh, come back, Rick. Well, anyway, meanwhile, <laughs> Meanwhile, <laughs> uh, yeah, we have uh, people down in the chat. Yeah, like uh, Mary, aliens took over. Um, yeah, go figure that. It happens. Uh, sometimes we get technical difficulty. Maybe they're blocking him from uh, from talking this evening. You never know. Well, technically, so, if, uh, if you want to get technical, it's solar flare season time um, because August. Solar is, flares. Okay. Yeah. No, we have a lot of interruption at work and satellites and stuff, so it could affect yeah. communications. So. And Pung guy is like, you know, somebody trying to shut him up. So um, <laughs> hopefully we'll get and uh, OK, it looks like he's coming back here. So let's bring him back on. Hey, Rick. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm sorry about that. We had it. We're ha- sorry. We had an electrical storm here. Apparently oh, my Internet uh, blacked out for me. I mean, I have a high speed Internet, but something happened. But anyway, I'm back. Does that mean it's coming this <laughs> way then? Oh, no. <laughs> It might be coming your way. Oh, great. <laughs> Yay. I'll get it tomorrow. <laughs> I'm not sure where I cut out. Yeah, you, you cut out when you were relating to um, uh, AFOSI to, uh, CSI. to NCIS. Was it oh. CSI or yeah, NCIS? NCIS, yeah. yeah. NCIS. It's similar to uh, <laughs> uh, NCIS. OSI is similar to uh, NCIS. Uh, AFOSI is a criminal counterintelligence uh, investigative arm of the Air Force. I didn't work in the uh, criminal area. I worked strictly counterintelligence. And I did that from uh, 1978 to 1988. Yeah, and my job was counterintelligence or counterespionage. Good. Yeah, and, and I do want to talk a little bit about that uh, you know, within our conversation this evening. But 
um, before we get into all those uh, very interesting topics, one thing that you brought up during your presentation uh, at Laughlin this year that I, I think is another thing that people don't realize or quite understand is security clearances. Uh, just because you have a top secret security clearance doesn't mean you get you know free reign and access to everything. Uh, it's very, very compartmentalized. And I like the way that you explained that during your presentation. Can, can you do that for us again real quickly here? Sure. Uh, everyone with intelligence has a top secret cl security clearance. And uh, that top secret security clearance allows them to have access to information that uh, people wouldn't normally have. But within the intelligence uh, community, there's specially compartmented uh, information that is protected. Just because you have a top secret security clearance doesn't give you access to everything there is regarding a particular program. You have to have access or need to know in order to gain access to a uh, particular program, a high-level programs such as the UFO uh, phenomena within the, the government. Uh, there's so many different layers of security within that, um, within the intelligence community regarding UFOs that uh, you might have access to part of the information, but you might not have access to all of it. It's strictly compartmented. All right, fantastic. I think that kind of helps us to set up the evening. And uh, real quick, down here, Nicole, Guiding Echoes, just want to show some extra love for Edge of the Rabbit Hole with the $2 Aww. super chat. So thank, thank you, Nicole. You. <laughs> uh, On that topic, you were... right there. Aww. Me? Oh, my. Right. Oh. <laughs> I didn't know. Okay, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> on that topic you were just Good talking about, do you think um, not on the need to know? Um, is that specifically because people just don't need to know, or is it for security, like in case anyone is, I don't know, captured or whatever, taken, abducted, whatever you want to call it, um, they won't have the whole pizza, basically. They only have a slice. Is it for a security reason, too? Well, if you're working in a war zone or behind enemy lines, yes, I'm sure that's going to be the case. But uh, the reason that one person doesn't get access to everything is because that person could uh, spill the beans, so to speak, go, uh, rogue, go rogue, yeah, or or uh, possibly be captured, or uh, become a spy, and then they um, they they they'd give the whole uh, um, kitchen and refrigerator and right. everything else to the enemy. So that's why it's compartmented. And and another reason is. You don't necessarily need access if you're conducting some kind of an investigation or operation. Uh, when I was conducting operations regarding uh, UFOs, uh, I had access to what I needed to know. I didn't have access to everything. Uh, for instance, uh, I didn't have technical uh, knowledge of, of how a UFO operated or all the technical um, uh, things that a UFO can do or what we, uh, the United States government, gathered uh, technologically from a captured UFO. I, I, w I didn't have any information regarding that. Okay. All right. Cool. Now let's um, <laughs> let's go ahead and dive into to Area Fifty One here because you spent some time there. Of course, you know the the government. Uh, you know, kind of denied that Area 51 existed <laughs> during all that uh, that period of time, and you know, just recently revealed here. But um, you know, what what exactly was your role there? What were you doing at this location? I was assigned to the uh, Air Force OSI office at Groom Lake. Uh, Groom Lake is what. Uh, the general public refers to as Area 51. Right. It was named Area 51 back in the 50s when the Nevada test site was uh, um, developed for nuclear above and, and below ground nuclear testing. And the uh, government acquired a large tract of land um, in, in that center, center section that encompassed Nye County and uh, part of, of, of Lincoln County in central Nevada. And they, they split it up in different areas. And in the area that Groom Lake is located is called Area 51. Uh, Tonopah uh, 
test range or Tonopah Air Force Base now is called Area 52. So there's uh, um, that's how Area 51 got its name. Um, my job out there was I was a counterintelligence officer. I initially went out there uh, on a t TDY basis or temporary duty basis, TDY. Mike knows what that is, but most public don't. <laughs> TDY means temporary duty, going from, from one base to another, just on a temporary duty. The, back in those days, in the, in the in the 70s, uh, Nellis uh, Indian Springs Air Force Base, uh, which is now Creech Air Force Base, and Groom Lake was part of Air Force OSI District 17 out of Kirtland Air Force Base. So uh, we would send agents on a temporary basis out there to fill in for other agents. And I actually, my first assignment out there in, in, in 1984 was to fill in for an agent who had, who had been sick. So I went out there to fill in his spot and he was a counterintelligence officer. And that's, I took over uh, his position for, uh, for a, a period of time. And what I did was I ran uh, counterintelligence operations, uh, could, could involve um, a UFO activity or a project that we're trying to protect. Um, and uh, that, that was my job. Okay, so as a counterintelligence agent, so you're spreading, essentially spreading dis disinformation, correct? For the most part, uh, we did. Uh, we would investigate something first and uh, determine what course of action was necessary to protect a particular uh, high security project. And then we would uh, write reports, send them up to our headquarters, and most of the information pertaining to uh, UFOs went to DIA, Defense Intelligence Agency at Bowling Air Force Base. And then uh, we'd get information back uh, directing us what to do. Okay. And so, and so let's, let's say, so there would be a, a report of some sighting and you would go investigate and see what's going on with that, right? Initially, what we, what we did was we, my first... Uh, several, I guess, pr probably three, I mean, three or four assignments dealt with people that worked on Area 51 okay. that uh, had uh, reported something to an outside agency or to a, uh, well, I'll give you, I'll give you an actual example of, a, of an operation. An Air Force captain who had a high level of security clearance and high level access to technical data that was being um, obtained from an ET craft that had crashed, uh, and we had we had it in captivity at Papoose in an area we called S two, and we'll talk about S two later because um, I'll explain the difference between my S two and Bob Lazar's S four. But anyways, ah, uh, we we he he gave out some information to a, a person. Uh, that didn't have a need to know, wasn't in the Air Force. We obtained uh, that uh, knowledge. We, we found out about it. And so my job there was to, number one, investigate him, the captain, find out why he gave the information he did. And then I had to investigate the person that, he, that received that information. And then that person was the one we had to disinform because that person was a civilian had no access to anything in the military, didn't work for the military, didn't work for the government. And we had to convince that person uh, one way or another that what the captain told her was, uh, was erroneous or was uh, made up. Okay, can okay. I ask a question? Go ahead, Victoria, <laughs> I know you're itching. <laughs> um, are, you, are you referring to Paul Benowitz or was this another captain? Oh, no, no, this was different. Yeah, okay. Paul Benowitz, no, this wasn't, Paul Benowitz's case was at, in Albuquerque. This this case was out in Nevada. Gotcha. Because um, I was really curious about Benowitz, um, and I thought of a really nice way to ask it, and I forgot now. Um, you basically were tasked with reframing his, um, his reality, so to speak, <laughs> through disinformation. Why him? Uh, did he have some sort of ranking, or was he a, a whistleblower, or why why him? 
Well, Paul Binowitz was a scientist. He, he owned a, okay. uh, his own business, Thunder Scientific Laboratory, which was right outside Kirtland Air Force Base. Uh, Paul Binowitz's company, Thunder Scientific, had a uh, classified uh, contract with the United States government. His company made um, sensors for submarines, uh, Trident submarines and other, other types of submarines. So Paul had a, a high-level security clearance. His company had an industrial security clearance with the, with the government. Okay. Paul Benowitz also lived right close to Kirtland Air Force Base. In fact, he lived, his backyard was on the perimeter of Kirtland Air Force Base. And Paul started and taking photographs. Right into it. Right? Yeah, yeah, he was elevated into it. Yeah. Exactly. He was elevated. You could look right into the base and right into a classified area, Mon Monzano storage area, which was the largest nuclear weapon storage area in the world. So he could look right into it from where he was at. He was okay. maybe a, a mile away from it. And so he started taking pictures of strange things that were occurring over the base. And eventually he then came to the base and told the chief of security police of what he had, he had obtained and what he saw. Uh, the chief of security police and referred him to uh, Lieutenant Colonel Ernie Edwards, who was the commander of the, um, the storage area where the nuclear weapons were. Okay. And then immediately after hearing Paul Blinowitz's story, Ernie got on the phone and called me. I was a counterintelligence officer at the base and gave me the story. He actually he called me. He said, I need you to come to my office right away. It's something very important. So and I had known Ernie for a while. And so I said, sure. I'll, I'll be right there. So I took took off and went, drove to the to the, his location, and then he told me about Paul Benowitz. Well, the the red flag went up because what he was telling us, uh, what he told Ernie was that he was gathering pictures and electronic signals coming from a base, a particular high level security area on the base, and so that's how the Paul Benowitz started. The investigation gotcha. started. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> so I have a uh, $5 super chat here from the chat room, Android Purity, and uh, has a question for you. Did you know what you're getting yourself into when starting the job? So when you when you took the, the uh, AFOSI job and uh, you ended up out there at, at Area 51 and some of, the, some of these other locations, did you know what you're getting yourself into with this? When I joined OSI, um, well, first of all, my... My father was in intelligence. My father was an Air Force, uh, retired Air Force Colonel. He was in intelligence. My uncle, uh, Edward Doty, was famous for the Lonnie Zamora case in Socorro. He investigated that. So I came from a family of, of uh, Air Force persons. And so, um, well, I knew to intelligence. I knew what, what I was getting myself into. But uh, I wasn't recruited into a UFO program. I was recruited into an intelligence program for, for the United States Air Force. And I had no uh, knowledge of uh, the government's involvement with UFOs when I joined OSI. Now, there are some people out there. I know Phil Class claimed, of course, he passed away, but Phil Class and some other people claimed that during my time in the regular Air Force, I was doing the same thing. And I had been briefed into a program and so forth. That didn't happen. I I was never briefed in any UFO programs when I was in the regular Air Force. That just that's that's not okay. true. Uh, so uh, when I joined OSI, I didn't know anything about UFOs, or, or we investigated UFOs. I went to uh, uh, the Federal Law Enforcement Academy, and then went to an OSI uh, uh, school. Then I went to a DIA school, and then I went to a, a CIA course. And none of those courses mentioned the subject of UFOs. <laughs> they never ever mentioned that we would be investigating them or anything like that. Now, they told us that we would be investigating high-level security projects. We would be protecting high-level uh, uh, programs, high-level security uh, clearance programs. But I didn't know anything about UFOs and our, our, the government's involvement with UFOs until I was briefed into the program after I joined OSI. Have you ever seen oh, a UFO? Uh, I saw him flying. I saw him on the ground at Area 51. So, yes. <laughs> yes. So, you actually okay. did see them at Area 51. Um, 
Just and, and thank you, Android Purity, for the uh, five dollars super chat. We do appreciate that. Um, so Betty Lange kind of followed up with that. Actually, I think she asked this before he did. Uh, did you did you believe in UFOs to begin with? So it, before you even you know briefed into it, uh, and before you even went out to Area Fifty One, did did you previously have a belief in in UFOs? Absolutely not. I was not a believer. I I never delved into that growing up. Uh, my brother, um, he was the UFO buff. He would buy, and we roomed together, he would buy the True Magazines, the old True Magazines <laughs> about <laughs> UFOs. Some of some of the old-timers can remember the True Magazines. Hey, hey, who's an old-timer? <laughs> <laughs> he, he, also, he also bought a book, uh, that I think it was the first book that George Adamski wrote. And one night he showed me the book. I read maybe a couple pages of it, and I, I threw it back at it on his bunk, and I said, you know, that's, that baloney, I, I didn't believe it. I, I wasn't ever interested in it. My interest back in those days was um, I read everything Zane Gray ever wrote. I love Westerns, and that was my, my, my beliefs back in those days. I didn't believe in UFOs. And I have to tell you this, that when in 1979, when I was briefed into the program, because I had an investigation involving UFOs, which occurred at Kirtland Air Force Base, I was briefed into the program. I had to go to an Air Force Special Security Office. I saw a film. I was briefed into the program. And, and the briefing uh, consisted of the United States government involvement with UFOs from 1947 on. And this is in 1979. So it's 30-some years, 32 years of U.S. involvement. Now, after the briefing, I drove in my OSI vehicle from the west side of Kirtland Air Force Base over to the east side. And while uh, I was driving, I pulled off the side of the road and I sat in, my, in, the, in, in the vehicle and I contemplated what I had just heard. And it, it was somewhat of a shock to me. I mean, I thought, my God, this stuff is real. It was, it was kind of hard for me to believe it. I thought, well, is this kind of some kind of a psychological warfare, a psychological program they're putting us through? Because was, I wasn't the only one there. There were many other uh, uh, intelligence officers there. And I thought, well, you know, I'll, I'll find out. And so when I, when I started in this particular investigation I was doing at Kirtland, then I realized talking to other people that had been, that had been involved in this program for many, many years, I realized, yeah, in fact, the government did know the government has kept a secret, and now I know. So you mentioned earlier that you saw UFOs at Area 51, Groom Lake. What exactly did you see? Well, we would, um, myself and my partner out there, um, we would... Um, drive around and, and we had missions to do. We had, we had uh, people to speak with. Uh, the base was quite large, so you had to drive around. And one particular night, we drove to a really remote location on the base. Uh, it was actually down past Papoose Lake towards the Nevada test site, which is, of course, now the Nat Nevada National Security Site. It was a, 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 a small complex down there that we had to go down and interview somebody and it was it was because of it of, of something relating to a um, the ET contact, and it was uh, somewhat uh, late at night when we were driving back, and as we were driving on the road, and there's several checkpoints between where we were and to the containment area of Area 51 where we actually had our our billets, um, we saw something flying, and this thing was doing. Um, maneuvers that I'd never seen an, air, an airplane do. It was flying in circles and it would stop. It would shoot up, uh, ascend to a certain point, stop, and then descend to almost the ground level. My partner and I drove over towards where this was and we, we sat there in our, our vehicle. We actually got out of the vehicle and stood outside and watched this thing for oh, probably 40, 45 minutes. And then eventually it landed back at Groom Lake. So we drove back to the base and, and, and we, again, it was about 30 minute drive from where we were at to the base. We got to the base, we drove down next to the flight line. Now, as I said earlier, I didn't have access to everything on the base. 
we did right. have access to some some areas of the flight line, but but I, we couldn't go out in the flight line and we couldn't go into to most of the hangars. We saw this thing on the ground and we saw it being moved into a hangar, a very large hangar. So uh, we went back to our billets, uh, went to bed next morning and went to the office. Um, my supervisor's last name was Hutchinson, fortunately passed away some years ago. Hutch, we referred to him as Hutch. I went in and sat down at his desk and I said, hey, Hutch, um, we saw something flying last night. Uh, can you, and he was briefed into a lot more programs than, than mm. when I were, when I was, he said, I guess you saw one of our, uh, toys that we're trying to, uh, reverse engineer. And that's all he told us. Oh, wow. Told me. So I said, okay. So then I, over a period of time, slowly, uh, gained access to two sides of what we were doing out there. Um, the recovered crafts that we had at S2, we were trying to fly. And then on the other side of the coin, we were trying to reverse engineer the recovered crafts. And a good example of this uh, was the Cash Landrum case in 1980. Uh, we had a, a, a large uh, UFO that we had recovered, and I don't know where we recovered it. We couldn't get the propulsion system to work. So we placed an experimental nuclear propulsion system on this craft and we flew it. And that was the one that was uh, involved in the Cash Landrum case. So that's an example of a reverse engineering, partly reverse engineering. Uh, we couldn't reverse engineer the, the, the uh, engine because we couldn't understand the, what the, how the propulsion system worked. Well, you mentioned Let me explain something else out there. Sure. Uh, this is somewhat of a, uh, a, a conundrum with some people. We had different flying crafts from different extraterrestrial races. They were all different. I mean, extremely different. I know one particular person uh, in the UFO community says, I can't understand why we can't get these crafts to work. You get the one to work, you can get the other to work. That doesn't work that way. If you, if you talk to Dr. Putoff um, and some of the other uh, scientists that had, knew and, and worked on these things, they can real, you realize the science and the technology of these different crafts are entirely different. The propulsion is all from different races. Exactly. They're all from different races and they're all manufactured differently. And that's why we had so much, uh, we have so much trouble then and i'm sure we still have trouble now trying to reverse engineer was there one that was more um more sophisticated than the others and did you know what uh is races is that the correct name to call it's not species races, races. okay et what races what demographic how about that what demographic it came from was there one that was more advanced than the other well i didn't have access to all the scientific data so I can't tell you that. I don't, I don't, I know that we did get some of them to work the even crafts, the craft, the one that crashed in, in Roswell. Um, we recovered that. We had assistance because we had a live ET uh, that lived until 52 explaining how that his craft worked. But then again, uh, he can explain it to us, but he's not explaining it to us in our technology right. or our science. He doesn't know our science. He doesn't know our technology. He doesn't know our math, our trigonometry, our calculus. So he has to explain it in the best way he can to us, to our scientists. So back in those days, our scientists basically had to go back to first grade and learn them, that, math, that math. It was easier for EBA, that's what they call that, that uh, ET, uh, to learn our math because he was so educated. I mean, he was so uh, smart. I think they estimated his IQ to be up in the 200s or 300s. Oh, wow. And so he could easily uh, grasp our math, our science. And, but he had a problem of connecting our math with theirs and their technology. That's really the only, the only part of the technological aspect of this that I, can, that I, that I knew. Now, you had mentioned uh, Bob Lazar earlier. Now, Bob was supposed to be working on reverse engineering those propulsion systems. How closely related was that 
what he was working on to what you were witnessing there? Well, Bob was there after I left. Okay. Okay. Bob talks about S4. Now, if you look at Papoose Lake, you look at a map that George Knapp had, had put out, uh, the complex that Papoose Lake was S2. That's what it was called. The area that Bob Lazar worked was four levels under that, and that was called S4. The S2, or the top, top area that you entered, was the administrative control center for whatever was underground. I, I never had access to anything underground. I had access to the control center, or S2 complex. And S2 is where I went a number of times to conduct investigations, but I, I never visited, nor did I have access to, to S4. And so Bob Lazar talks about S4. And uh, so he was t he's telling the truth. I believe everything Bob Lazar says the entry control procedures that I quizzed him on, he knew everything uh, about those. Uh, and of course, after I left, they developed some new uh, entry control procedures, the handprint, which we didn't have when I was there, but the exchange badge system, where the vehicle was parked when you entered S2, uh, the where the elevators were, I quizzed him on all those things, and he answered every single one of them correctly. So I'm convinced that that what Bob uh, Lazar said was, in fact, truthful. Is there? Yeah, an you know, I'm in. Uh, just a quick comment. I'll let you uh, ask the question here in a second, Victoria. And I just want to <coughs> real quick that no, I'm I'm also in the camp. I I believe Bob. Now, of course, I was not out there uh, during during my time in the Air Force. I'd never witnessed any of that stuff. But it's actually more from Bob's personal story when uh, he talks about what happened between uh, him and his wife and you know everything that he went through uh, where he almost had his uh, uh, clearance revoked for a time because of all that where I went through something very similar with my ex-wife while I was at NSA it's just every detail he gave on that was like you know I went through the exact same th thing I know exactly what he's talking about I believe this guy based on something personal, not anything technological. So um, just commentary, but go ahead, Victoria. Oh yeah. Well, if there's an S2 and an S4, is there an S6, 8, 10? Does it go deeper or is four it? No, to the best of my knowledge, when I was there, there was only four levels. Okay. It just goes down to four. S4 was the bottom level. And, you, and another thing he mentioned was the tunnel between the containment area, area 51 to S4. Um, I think that's probably the only thing he didn't get entirely right. The tunnel didn't come into the complex at, 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 uh, at, at uh, S4 level. It came in at S2 level. And then there was a different tunnel system from going from S2 at the, at the north end of the complex down to S4. And I don't know that he just maybe didn't explain it uh, thoroughly enough when, when he was talking about it, but, but that's the tunnel complex. And the tunnel complex wasn't entirely completed when I, uh, when I was there. They, they, I think they had um, maybe a mile or two left to, to complete when I was there. How many years was it between you and Bob? Uh, probably two and a half Okay, it's a little bit of time. Yeah, about two and a half years. All right. Uh, good question here from uh, Lindsay Rutledge. Uh, she says, I've heard of crafts that were actually sentient. Did you ever hear of anything like that? Sentient? Sent sentient. So I guess uh, self-propelled crafts. Self-propelled. Uh, not manned by ETs. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, drones. Yeah. Um, yes, absolutely. Um, we did... Uh, recover a couple of those. They were uh, considered reconnaissance vehicles. They were smaller and they were um, remotely controlled, uh, similar to our drones, but they were they were remotely controlled, yes. Uh, there were some, I think um, uh, Linda Howell had somebody on that talked about it some, some years ago, about one that was, was crashed. I, I believe it was in Washington State, uh, Western Washington State, someplace, and it was a smaller. I think it was recovered, and nobody knew what it was. And and finally, the Air Force from 
the, the local base in McCord, I believe it was McCord Air Force Base, or maybe it was Fairchild. But anyways, one of the bases went and picked it up, and then they started looking at it and realizing it was something uh, extraordinary, and they shipped it to uh, Area 51, and the scientists down there uh, figured out uh, that it was a ET drone. Yes, so, the, yeah, there were some. And maybe she was, maybe this uh, uh, person was talking about uh, that incident. Okay, okay. Yeah, very so That's well, the only one that I actually know of. Gotcha. Now, are there actually ETs at Area 51? Because you hear stories that, you know, maybe they have uh, some ones that they've, you know, captured and experimented on. You hear other stories of, no, there's actually a dialogue going on between humans and other ET races, and that's a place where they visit. So w what's going on with the with the story of, you know, actual ETs that may be there at Area 51? Well, I used to av always avoid this uh, conversation because uh there there were there are there there were some there yeah there was a special complex uh the s2 annex it was called it was uh, down towards papoose in fact i think recently just a few uh uh days ago somebody posted an aerial shot of this complex on youtube or on on the internet and um it does show that's the area uh that they had a, detain, a, a, a containment site for, uh, I don't know exactly the number of, uh, of, of entities that were there, uh, but they, they did have them there. They housed them there. And here's the problem they had was, again, remember, these were different races of ETs coming from different planets within the universe, and they all were um, different they breathed different uh, gases. They had different needs. Uh, their environment had to be strictly controlled uh, in order for them to live. And um, so they, they didn't just show up and breathe our air and speak our language and, and adapt to our environment. They had, they had to have special environmental controls. And so they built this complex down there, very sophisticated complex. I had been there. I, I saw the complex. I don't know the number of, of entities that were there, and they called them entities back then, uh, but there were a, a, a good number of them. I, I would guess maybe somewhere between six and 10, uh, although I don't know for a fact that there were that many. Now, what I was involved with uh, was an uh, incident that I spoke about it, um, the uh, UFO convention where one of these uh, entities escaped and uh, actually was was caused the death of a of a private citizen who was just driving uh, his vehicle with his family. Uh, it was a really horrible incident, and um, his wife was um, taken care of by the Air Force, and um, she was uh, quietly. Uh, um, uh, she was quieted, I should say, by the Air Force, not threatened or anything like that, but she was paid money. And, and um, ironically, her son, the, the, I think the extraordinary thing I talked about at UFO, UFO convention, uh, convention was her son, who was in the vehicle at the time, and this happened in the 80s, he later on, he later uh, entered the Air Force. He was actually stationed out at Area 51. Oh. And uh, oh, some wow. years later, some years later, uh, he was stationed there, and he knew what happened to his dad. I mean, he knew something happened. He, he confronted an, a sergeant out there, his sergeant. Uh, he was a security policeman, or military police, Air Force, as Mike knows, they, they call him a security police. Uh, right. But uh, he confronted the sergeant, and the sergeant admitted that, yeah, I was there at the time, and this creature had escaped it, it, and, it, and attacked, trying to get away. Uh, and but the creature was later killed by by security police, and um, I, I talk about that case. But there was uh, was another case that had involved uh, a, a creature or an entity escaping. It was before I my time there, and that that entity was uh, killed by a, uh, um, a hunter. Uh, the hunter saw it, didn't know what it was. Uh, it was north of. Uh, uh, the test area up near uh, the Kawish uh, uh, Mountains, 
up near Warm Springs and uh, he was hunting. He was actually a hunting guide and he was with two other people guiding him. And when he saw this creature, this creature came at him. And so this guy, his name was Gus, shot and killed this thing. Now, what happened then was um, this particular entity uh, gave off an extremely toxic substance when the body decayed and it made everyone around him sick. Now, the Air Force knew that. The Air Force had to come up. It was eventually reported to Nye County Sheriff's Department, uh, Nevada Game and Fish. Eventually, the Air Force got involved in it. The Air Force had to come up and uh, dispose of that, that, that entity's body and then uh, reclamate the land area around where this, uh, this thing died. And that, that was uh, in the early 80s. Are they all humanoid or do they, are they different? Or the ones you've seen? Well, well the ones I knew about, what, I, I wasn't briefed into, the, into that uh, for some time, uh, I think probably 85. I mean, I, I did some investigations involving this, but I wasn't ever really briefed into that until uh, about 85. Now, you might hear that there's 560 different races of ETs. Mm -hmm. Back then, there were only five. There were only five races that we knew about, at least the government uh, that I read about and was briefed about. There were only five of them. Uh, one of one of them wasn't. Uh, one of them was um, uh, a humanoid, but it was he was a biologically. Uh, it was a biologically created. I mean, the 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 uh, race of e ETs uh, built could. I mean, they were so technologically more advanced than we are. They were able to manufacture uh, these these creatures, and some of them were not uh, human. Uh, some of them were more robotic than, than human. Okay. I mean, then uh, they weren't human, but I mean, uh, they right. were, uh, 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 rather than having an even, now evens, the one that we captured from the uh, Roswell crash, uh, they actually created um, uh, robots too, uh, engineered, uh, biologically engineered uh, uh, entities. I think that's what they, what they were called, that we called them. Okay. So it's not like they could mesh into society like Klaatu, you know, just put a nice coat and tie on and you'd never notice. You would notice this guy, right? Well, <laughs> the the Nordics, the the last race that we knew, they were more humanoid than any of the other ones. I mean, you look at the Ebens, small gray creature that you 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 couldn't you couldn't hide that 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 thing in a in a crowd. The <laughs> the one of the the one of them was called the trantaloid, which is like a praying mantis. You, I mean, that person, that couldn't be out. But there was one particular race that was like Nordics. They were blonde, and okay. they're the ones that could hide in a crowd. Okay, I've heard of those guys. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So I have a couple questions here from the chat, and then I want to kind of switch gears a little bit. Sure. Uh, this is from Christine Louvier. Have you seen any motherships, extremely, extremely larger ship? Uh, then smaller ships would come and go from? I personally have never seen one. Uh, I know that they, they track them on radar and satellites uh, in uh, different orbits, uh, but, but I personally never saw one. Okay. And then from Anne Celine, I'm curious, with you having these connections and this knowledge, are, are you ever visited due to your connection and knowledge by beings? No. <laughs> um <laughs> Not that I know of. I mean, I, no, I never had missing time. Um, I'm pretty strong-willed. I, um, I had some close encounters, so to speak, uh, in my official capacity. One I spoke about uh, on on my Gaia episodes. I, I have an episode, Cosmic Disclosure and Gaia. I talk about a case that we were investigating there at on uh, Nevada test range near in south of Tonopah Air Force Base in the Iranian Mountain, where um, strange occurrences were happening, and myself and two other OSI agents, along with one security policeman, uh, were out searching this area, and we found a tunnel, and we followed. We walked into this tunnel, quite deep into this tunnel, tunnel, and um, suddenly we saw a lit area up ahead and suddenly this huge being 
Uh, the only thing I can connect it to is uh, the day the earth stood still or uh, that, that creature that comes out, although it wasn't quite that big. It came out into this tunnel and started moving towards us. Um, and we all had weapons. We, we carried weapons. We were federal agents, but we just had handguns. The security policeman that was somewhat distance behind us, he had an M16. And we stopped, uh, and we immediately uh, took a defensive uh, stance. And we didn't know what this was. And um, so I decided, and I was the uh, ranking person there, I decided that, you know, discretion is a better part of valor, that we, we need to just retreat out of there and then uh, notify uh, somebody else, uh, a larger a larger contingent of people, because I don't know what that was down there. And, I, and what intrigued me more was not necessarily this thing that was in the, in the tunnel, uh, was what be, was behind it. There was a lit area behind there. There's, it, looked like a, it looked like some sort of a factory behind there. And I knew there wasn't supposed to be anything there. So anyway, we retreated, uh, we notified other uh, personnel, we notified a commander of Tonopah Air Force Base, because he's the one that was telling us there were strange occurrences. Um, later, a, a stronger force of, uh, uh, of Air Force and some Army personnel went in there, and um, I wasn't there. Uh, and uh, eventually the area was destroyed uh, by us. And um, what they found, I, I was never privy to. Uh, but, uh, um, that was the only time, um, that I can remember that we, that I actually came close to, to an encounter with one, but in my sleep or anything like that, no, I've, I've never been visited. All right. At least that you're aware of. <laughs> I'm not aware of right? right. Right. So you, you did mention Gaia there and, uh, for anybody that's not familiar, you know, go to, go to Gaia, look up Richard Doty and you'll find all kinds of information and segments with uh with richard uh, a lot of fantastic information out there that he discusses so i do want to switch it up a little bit and talk because we only got about 13 minutes left in the show um i want to talk to you real briefly about the men in black because um you know having spent some time at nsa and some of the stories that i've told from there where i've gone you know i had to go off-site on occasion to locations hidden in plain sight and I'd have to dress in the black suit and tie. And so there's kind of a running joke amongst our <laughs> viewers that I was once a man in black, although I, I know I wasn't, but um, to, to kind of clarify, okay, what, who exactly are the men in black and why do they seem to show up at a lot of these types of incidents? Well, the men in black, uh, I was not a man in, man in black. I, I was involved in that, but we did have, there was a particular, uh, office or um, um, squad at Fort Belvoir um, assigned to 76 of Second Air Intelligence Wings, uh, and these men were the real men in black. They were they they were recruited into this particular program because of their uh, unique skills. Uh, some of them were uh, safe crackers. Some of them were um, con artists. Some of them were. Um, disguise artists and when we couldn't do when we couldn't complete a mission because uh the people just didn't believe us or we couldn't convince them uh, even with a disinformation uh we would turn it over to these uh, this other uh squad of people and um and, and there weren't just men there were women there too and then they would go out and they would use other tactics uh that i wasn't involved with i didn't sanction any of those t tactics but they would go out and scare them, scare the witnesses or you know, break into their house and steal the photographs or uh, somehow convince them that uh, what they saw uh, was not a, a, a UFO or maybe there wasn't a government craft, uh, whatever their mission was. Uh, but there was, in fact, a, 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 a group of people that uh, they didn't call themselves the men in black. They were the special access team, they call them. And uh, they, I think they were formed back in the late 50s. Uh, we were for my time, but, and I knew about them. I had actually worked with, with them on an occasion. Uh, one, one particular occasion I worked with them. I didn't like their tactics. Uh, they were strong armed. Um, and I'm not, you know, I, I'm not that way unless I had to be. 
And so I, I didn't particularly like the way they operated. And that was the only time I ever worked with them. Okay. Victoria, looks like you want to ask something. Can you see it in my eyes or something? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, I, well, I don't want to say I got into an argument. I got into a heated discussion this week in social media, bad me, bad me, um, about how people are controlled by fear. And it's been going on since, you know, the dinosaurs. Um, do you think that media and pop culture, and especially the films, um, especially from the 50s, who have depicted ETs and alien beings as horrible, soul-sucking, I'm going to take over the world. Is that part of the fear? Uh, is it part of the disinformation to make us afraid of what's out there? One of the particular courses I took in counterintelligence uh, dealt with uh, conditioning the public. And uh, you do it in a number of ways. And, and the easiest way to condition the public is through film. Uh, and I, I, I didn't know, I didn't know it at the time, but I, I found out later in my OSI career that um, from the 1950s, early 50s, uh, we, the United States government, uh, sanctioned movies about UFOs and about uh, uh, the dangers of ETs in order to condition the public. And one, one of the actual. Uh, and I think uh, this has been out. I mean, Bill Moore talked about it because he, he dealt into the film industry. But um, one of the first films that the government fully sanctioned was The Day the Earth Stood Still that was made in, I believe, 1951. That was fully sanctioned by the United States government. But it was actually financed. But that's by, such a uh, positive movie. He's like, you know, shape up or we're going to come back. I mean, I've, that's one of my favorite movies of all times. Yeah, and, and, and it, uh, yeah, I think there was a couple messages that, that the government wanted to, to throw in there. And I, th I, th I think they did. I, th I think they were able, that they were successful in it. Interesting. So let me ask you this, Rick, because, you know, I, I've had experiences, you've seen things, uh, you know, Victoria's had experiences. We have, you know, the disinformation that's out there. We have news reports. We have people that just make things up. Um, you know, but then people legitimately have things going on. So how do we know what's real and, and what's not? That's a good question. And that's the way the government wants it. <laughs> you know, the <laughs> government throws so much into it, uh, that they, they don't know what to believe and what not to believe. Um, you know, there's UFO researchers out there that write, will write a book that is, uh, entirely, uh, speculative speculation. Uh, they'll mix in a little, uh, uh, fake stuff and, and they, they want you to believe what, what they wrote is the truth. Um, the, the, the Roswell case, for example, nobody got that right. And, you know, I came forth with, with what I was briefed into, uh, Stan Friedman came forth with, with the same information. Others had, had come forth with it. Um, the, the problem is not necessarily government. The problem is UFO community. Phil Class made a speech at a UFO convention some years ago and told the UFO community, you guys do more harm to yourself from within than I could ever do from outside. And that's the absolute truth. There's so much backstabbing within the UFO community. One person will write a book, another person will write a book. It's contrary to what the first person wrote. And now there's a feud between the two and bad, bad, uh, uh, things happen. Um, uh, they try to destroy each other, and the, UFO, the, the government sits back and laughs at them. I mean, the, they're doing the government's work for them. They're disinforming the public uh, with these uh, fake books and, 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 uh, and fake stories. So yeah. what do you believe? Um, number one, I'm not out here. Uh, I've never been out here uh, trying to disinform the public. I quit that in 1988. My security clearance ran out 2000. Uh, I'm trying to tell the public the truth and, and believe me. And some people don't, and there's other, I'm not the only one doing it. There's other former intelligence officers out there that are trying to do the same thing I'm doing. And I'm just trying to get the truth out there. And I just wish that the UFO community would, would, would portray the truth rather than uh, a book that, that they want sold. For 
Yeah, and I think that's important uh, for for people to realize is that you have you have not been a uh, a counterintelligence agent since the 1980s. It's been it's been a long time now, and that was essentially a, a job, right? That was a job. Yeah, everything I did was sanctioned. I mean, if I hadn't, I mean, people will say to me, why, you know, how did you do this? Why did you do it? Well, I was sanctioned. I was told to do that. I had a job to do. You go to work every day. You do your job. Your, your boss tells you what to do. You do it. Um, I had a unique job. I mean, I was told to do things that I don't necessarily agree with everything I did. I'm somewhat embarrassed by a lot of things I did during my career. If I had to do over again, I would probably done it differently or might not have done it at all. Uh, I mean, I couldn't refuse, uh, but um, I might have found a different way to do it. And, um, and, and there's things that, uh, you know, I regret, uh, but uh, I did my job and I, I, I did it well. I mean, I got I got plaques and, 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 uh, and, and promotions for, for, for what I did. Can I ask you a question about the UFO community real quick? Um, I'd heard someone mention that there might have been like Soviet agents at one time try to infiltrate the UFO community just to get, um, I guess, information. And that's one reason there was always so much disinformation put out. Is that true? Absolutely. Yep. You, 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 that, that, that's exactly what happened. And Bill Moore, uh, when I recruited Bill Moore into the, uh, um, I recruited him as an asset. Uh, and that was because, because we knew that Bill had a friend who was uh, connected to a Soviet scientist and that Soviet scientist was trying to get information out of the UFO community. And then we found there were a couple different cases uh, that the FBI ran uh, that uh, uh, involved uh, uh, assets that the that Russians recruited that had infiltrated. Uh, one, one particular one was the um, uh, APRO, um, there were four uh, Soviet uh, um, assets found in, in APRO. So, yes, yeah, the Soviets did that. Do they have their yeah. own set of UFOs and reverse engineering that they're doing? That, to your knowledge? Yes, that's an entire different, entirely different show. Yes, yes. I could talk <laughs> I'm a night owl. We can keep going. <laughs> well, I would think I would think a lot of different countries do. I mean, UFOs don't just land in the United States. The Southwest is beautiful. Have you not been out there? I, I would, <laughs> if I was an alien, that's where I would go. I'd be heading towards like you know, Jerome or you know, Sedona. It's well, East, East, I know quickly. East Germany, East Germany recovered. Uh, the Soviet Union had recovered quite a few. China has. South Africa has. Uh, Israel uh, found one in sitting in a desert uh that they didn't know how long i've been there so yeah there have been other countries okay can i ask you i think mike probably knows more about that than i do working for nsa yeah well mike <laughs> you can't tell us everything that he did either i, okay. I can't no <laughs> okay can i ask you a really dumb question i've been wanting to know since i was like nine and sure be quiet. okay if we um got technology through reverse engineering how do we get the microwave who is that from because i love that species whoever it is I have no idea. <laughs> you know, the guy that, uh, Corso was the guy you should have asked that question, Phil Corso. That's changed everybody's life. I mean, for the better, I guess. Yes. Oh, well, I'll never know. <laughs> it's definitely great technology, but uh, we, are, <laughs> we are down here to the end of the show. Uh, we did have Anseline dropped in a $10 super sticker. So thank you very much. And for the two or the $10 super sticker, absolutely appreciate that. So uh, Rick, we have about a minute left in the show here. Uh, how can people find you? I mentioned uh, Gaia earlier. Do they just watch your shows on Gaia or you have somewhere else they can go as well? Yeah, I have over 20 episodes on Cosmic Disclosure and Gaia, and I, I'm going up uh, this uh, uh, the end of this month and, and next month to make more shows, uh, ep oh, no, more episodes on, on Gaia. Um, my email, I, I answer every single email, even if it's uh, not really nice, but my email address is uh, Rick, R-I-C-K-D-O-T-Y-166 at msn.com. And... Uh, I try to answer. I get a lot of emails and I try to answer every single email. If you have a question, ask me and I'll 
I used to have a website, but it was hacked to do two different times and yeah. it's just not worth it anymore um, to, to put one up there. But, but I answer the questions if you, if you, you'd like to send me an email. Very good. You have any more conferences coming up here soon? Um, yeah, I'm going to Germany, uh, in February or in, um, I'm, I'm not, um, I believe it's, uh, maybe January. No, it's January. It's going to be, I'll be, I'll be in Wiesbaden, West Germany, or Wiesbaden, Germany and, and, um, in January, um, uh, I'll be on a panel discussion at Gaia in, in the middle of September, uh, with, the. Uh, uh, Dr. Greer and some others. Oh, fantastic. Nice. All right, Rick. Well, again, thank you so much for joining us this evening. Always fantastic uh, talking with you, and I hope to see you again here pretty soon. Mike, Victoria, thank you for having me. It's so nice pleasure. to meet you. <laughs> nice to meet Have you a too. great evening.